Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I've got a cramp. <laughs> All those cords. Crown him with many crowns. You know, over the years, um, particularly in my work as a pastor, there have been so many times when I have felt prompted by the Lord to go and do this or that, only to find that when I did go and do this or that, that that was precisely where I needed to be at that particular time. I remember on this one occasion some years ago, I was working in my office at the church and I felt the Lord say to me really specifically, really quite clearly, it wasn't just a kind of feeling, it was a quite specific word, I was doing something else and then this quiet little word in my head said, go up to the hospital and help Shantini get Jeff home. And now Jeff and Shantini were a couple in our church. Jeff was really very ill. He's now passed away. But I knew that Jeff was going to the hospital yesterday to have a blood transfusion. And I just thought to myself, oh, that doesn't make sense because Jeff would have had the blood transfusion yesterday and he's gone home. But then I thought to myself, no, no, that voice, I know that voice. And I remembered all the other times that I'd responded to that voice. So I put down what I was doing. I went up to the hospital, kind of expecting that they'd say, no, no, he's gone home. And I would just go home. But I went up to the hospital and, you know, you walk in there at Wyong Hospital and you ask, you know, for where this guy is. And they say, oh, yes, he's up in this bed at this ward. So I walk up to the ward. And as I walked in, I greet them. I sit down. The doctor walks in and says, Jeff, you're right to go home, mate just as I was sitting down. So then I helped walk Jeff out to the car and uh, as Shantini went and got her car from, you know, at Wyong Hospital there, the car park's right up the back. So she goes and gets the car and comes down and then I went around to the house and I helped them get Jeff up. They've got quite a steep front set of steps and I helped them get up inside and I went back home. And as I drove back to the office after a very simple, somewhat mundane, unspectacular little piece of pastoral work. It struck me once again that God does in fact speak to us if we're willing to listen and obey. And that often what God is calling us to do is very ordinary and everyday by nature. And that as we, as we all, God's people, listen to his voice and respond and do these very ordinary, everyday kind of things within the fellowship here and within our community, somehow God seems to thicken them up, making more of our lives as they are woven together under his guidance and his leading. Today I want to share with you a passage from Acts where we see this truth illustrated in the life of one of the disciples, Philip. And of all people, an Ethiopian eunuch making his way home after worshipping in Jerusalem. Now this passage is in Acts. So just so you have a sense of the context, 
where this passage falls in Acts, it flows out of that great wave of persecution which broke out in Jerusalem in the very first months of the early church. Now, if you've ever read Acts, you remember that following the murder, the stoning, I mean, if you think about it, it's the most awful thing, isn't it? To stone someone to death. They stoned Stephen to death. And Everyone saw what was going on and the early church, because of this awful thing that had happened to one of their their dearly loved brothers, the early church was scattered throughout the regions around Jerusalem. And if you read Acts, you would have read about Philip travelling to Samaria to share the gospel and about how heaps of people in Samaria responded to the gospel and they became Christians, but they didn't seem to have the Holy Spirit And so the early church leaders, Peter and John, hear about this and they're thinking to themselves, Samaria? The Samaritans have come to Christ? We better go and check this out. And they get there, they lay hands on them, they pray for them and they witness the Holy Spirit falling on these outsiders, these Gentiles, just as he did at Pentecost. And they start manifesting these gifts and and doing all this awesome stuff. And it was like the Holy Spirit wanted to delay the coming of the Holy Spirit upon these Samaritans just so that he could start teaching these early leaders of the church this incredible truth that the gospel really is for everyone. Even the filthy Samaritans... That's how they treated them. That's how they thought of them. The gospel really is for everyone. The Holy Spirit even fell on the Samaritans. Well, Luke then records this story, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. So let's open the Word of God to Acts chapter 8, praying that his spirit would speak into our lives through his word today. So let's have a look. It'll be up here on the screen. Acts 8 verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the desert road, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So I invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look! Here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, so let's just go back to the beginning of that and work through this passage. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to see what he said to him. He said, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. God spoke to Philip and asked him to do something which must have seemed somewhat bizarre and more than a little dangerous. To head out onto a desert road and you know, this time was a little more than dangerous. It really was. It, you know, in the first century, it was probably not the best idea to do that, you know. This was a lonely road where individuals were particularly vulnerable to attack. That's why people tended to travel in groups. In fact, the best scenario for a lone traveller would probably be that you didn't meet anyone on the road. See, I imagine when, Philip, when, when God's word came to him, Philip may, may well have said, What? Go south to the desert road. Surely I must be imagining this. Surely you can't be serious, Lord. The desert road? There'll be no one on that road. It'll be an empty road, hopefully. Yet regardless, Philip went. He obeyed the word of the Lord and he went south on the desert road towards Gaza. Verse 27 says, so he started out and on his way he meets this guy, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And then it says, This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting on his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And then the, the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. How extraordinary. I mean, really, if you think about it, how unlikely for Philip to meet the treasurer of Ethiopia returning from worshipping at the temple in Jerusalem. Now this guy is interesting for a number of reasons which kind of speak into the greater context of what the Holy Spirit was teaching the early church. Namely that the gospel is now for everyone. It really is. The gospel is for everyone. Remember in the verses just prior to this passage, as I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is emphasising this. We need to keep that there. Even an Ethiopian eunuch. See, this guy was interesting firstly because he was a Gentile, but secondly, because he was a eunuch. Right? Do you realise that this guy, this guy was banned from worshipping in the temple on both counts? It, when you went into the the temple in the first century there were big signs there that just basically said Gentiles you pass this point and we will kill you there's the Gentile court the outer court but you walk in past this line and we will put you to death so they're excluded the other person that wasn't allowed to go in there was somebody who'd had their Gentiles their, their genitals mutilated right he couldn't go in on either count okay he's banned on both counts now somehow we aren't told how this Ethiopian treasury official has come into possession of a portion of the Old Testament scriptures and as Philip caught up with him 
He just happened to be reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. Once again, the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, clearly said, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, if you think about this, that must have been another somewhat unusual, somewhat risky thing for him to do. And when you think about it, I can't imagine a high-ranking official answerable directly to the Queen of Ethiopia would have not had a significant bodyguard surrounding him. In fact, as Philip approached the chariot, as he obeyed the word of the Lord, I can't help thinking he might have been saying to himself, gee, I may lose my head on the way to the chariot. I can imagine these guys would have looked scary. Would they allow him to go anywhere near the chariot? Chariot, yet that is exactly what God told him to do. Go to the chariot and stay near it. So that's what he did. And as he did that, as he was obedient to the word of the Lord, he hears the guy reading. And Philip must have had a smile on his face. A little bit like me up at the hospital visiting Jeff and Shantini as I sat down and the doctor said, Jeff, you're right to go home, mate. See, the, this guy must have been, as he drew near, he must have heard this guy speaking and thought to himself, hang on a minute, I know those words. I know what he's reading. He's reading from the, the, the prophet Isaiah. He's reading about Jesus. Isaiah's suffering servant. I can't believe this. I mean, who, who would have thought that I'd come across this stranger, this Gentile, this funny-looking foreign official in the middle of nowhere and find him in the very act of reading about our Jesus? Verse 30 says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the guy reading. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, undoubtedly, the Ethiopian official recognized his Jewish clothing. And he, he would have worked out, maybe this guy can tell me what this is all about. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Let me ask you this. If you had to explain to somebody about Jesus and you didn't have the New Testament, remember, it would not be written for many years. If you didn't have the New Testament... Can you imagine a better passage to start from? I mean, if you had to explain to someone about Jesus, about his incarnation, his life and death and resurrection, and what that meant for the world, what better passage? Could you imagine starting from, from the Isaiah 53? This is the perfect place for Philip to start, and that's exactly what he did. He started with Isaiah's words and then it seems he told the story of God's revelation through Israel's history and how it all came to fulfillment and consummation in Jesus. And I imagine Philip may well have used the very scroll laying before them to encourage him as well. You see, he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. But as you read on just a little further, like if you've got your Bible there, you turn over to Isaiah chapter 54 where God speaks about a new covenant, about those who have been put to 
shame and humiliation will be lifted up and given dignity and honour. And I can imagine, I can well imagine this treasury official, though being clearly honoured by his high position, also endured a kind of shame and humiliation due to the fact that he had been castrated as a young boy against his will. See, God's word in Isaiah 54 would have been very encouraging for him. And then as they made their way along the road, Philip probably read from Isaiah chapter 55, where it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. And then verse 5, how's this? Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations that do not know you will hasten to you because, the Lord, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. The Ethiopian must have been thinking to himself, this sounds as though it was written for me. It was written 700 years earlier. He must have been thinking, you've got to be kidding. This sounds like it's about me and my people. But then he gets to chapter 56 and he goes to verse 3 and it says, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Remember, he's just been to the temple and they've said, No way, you're not coming in here. You're a eunuch and you're a filthy Gentile. You're not coming in to worship the Lord. And then he gets to the next verse and it says, and let not any eunuch complain. (laughs) I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them, you think about what he's just been through at the temple, To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Remember, this guy has travelled from Gaza, where? Up the mountain to Jerusalem. He's travelled up to the holy mountain. These I will give These I will bring to my holy mountain. I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This Ethiopian eunuch, this high foreign official, must have been just jumping out of his skin. I mean, as he came to realise what God had done for him through Jesus. Is it any wonder that as soon as they come to a bit of water, they're travelling along, they come to a bit of water, he says, hey, hang on. And he's been listening to all this stuff. He says, hang on, there's water here. Why can't I be baptised? Philip goes, sounds good. Sounds all right to me. 
So they go down into the water and he baptises him. And imagine this, they come up out of the water and Philip, the first example of teleportation, boom, he just goes. He appears at Azotus. Try to get your head around that. I'd recommend you don't think about that one too much. Just accept it. Philip just pops off and appears in Azotus. (laughs) And the eunuch just keeps on going. I mean, it's a wonderful story, is it not? It's a wonderful story at so many levels. It's a wonderful story because it clearly shows that the good news really is for everyone. It's a wonderful story because it shows God organising and arranging things so that even this rank outsider, I mean, he is an outsider in the extreme, who has spent his days on the very fringes of the kingdom, is found. I don't want you to miss that, that he's walking down the road, he's in his chariot, they're travelling down the road, and who goes to find him? The Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit sends Philip to go to find him. It's wonderful because it shows how God whispers to us as we're willing to listen to him and as we obey. See, Philip must have been wondering what on earth was up when he was told to go down to this lonely spot. But afterwards, he must have been laughing and just rejoicing at the wonder of it all. So my question to you today is very simply... What has God been saying to you recently? What is he saying? Are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? And let me tell you, you need to learn. You do. We all need to learn how to hear the voice of God. Because there are lots of things that are being said to us. You'll hear what your friends are saying, you'll hear what the world is saying, you'll hear what the enemy's saying, and you'll hear what God's saying. And the single best way you can know that what you're hearing is a word from the Lord is that you've got to know the Word of God. You've got to know what the Word says so you can line the two up and say, nah, that is in contradiction to the Word of God. You can't shortcut it. You've got to know the Word of God. What is he saying and are you listening to him? If, if he's speaking and you're listening, are you obeying him? Are you doing what he's telling you to do? Are you putting legs on what God is saying to you today in the ordinary everyday nature of things? Just a couple of stories to finish. Years ago, there was a, a guy, a friend of mine, he'd been at Lakes with us as an intern. He's then kind of moved on. He'd been through Moreland College. He was pastoring a church up on the north coast. And I was in this kind of re- relationship with him, mentoring relationship. And one day, I'm, I'm talking to him on the phone, and he tells me that that night, he's got this meeting with the leadership, and he's going to be dealing with some issues. And really clearly in my head, I felt like the Lord said to me, get in the car, go up there and pray for them. Now you kind of think, yeah, well, that's no big deal. 
But it was five hours' drive to get there. I'm at work. So I go and I said to Louise and the other associate was there, this is what I feel like God's saying. They said, get in the car and go. So it's lunchtime. So I get in the car, I drive the five hours up there, and I go in, and they're surprised that I've arrived. And they're all G'd up for this meeting. And they're about to have dinner, and they, at, I must say, at first they were a little bit, well, what are we dealing with you for? Like, it's great that you're here, but we got this meeting, we'd have dinner, we're, we're, it was a bit rushed. I was like, look, I just want to pray for you guys, and I'm going to sit out in the car for the meeting. So I didn't I just said, I don't want to come to the meeting or anything, I'm just going to sit outside, the meeting's at your house, because this is what I feel like God said to me. Mind you, I've had five hours to drive up there to talk to Lord about this. So the vision's expanding. I get up there, I'm sitting in the car, and I'm watching the body language of people going into this meeting. And a couple of times I had people come out of the house. No one knew I was there. I'm just in the car quietly praying. People coming out, I'm thinking, this is not going well. This is looking ugly. Anyway, four hours later, Four hours later, everyone walks out and leaves. Man, I walked in to the most devastated couple of people. They'd had the living daylights kicked out of them for those four hours. They never went back to church. But they never went back to that church that they were pastoring. From that night. Oh, man, it was tough. But man, I'm glad I was there. <laughs> I'm really glad that... And he, I was talking to him just a couple of weeks ago and he said, oh man, I remember that day that you came up. I don't know what we would have done if we didn't have a face there, someone friendly that was just there, you know? Then there was another time that we had this lady in the church who'd... Um, Ken and Beryl Cullen, and they'd been missionaries in Japan and just a quality couple. They're so great. And Ken had passed away. And then, and Beryl was, you know, an older lady in the church. And I felt like the Lord was kind of saying to me, Beryl would make a great elder, you know. And, and so I approached her about it. And we had this big, long process, many months, for her to come onto the eldership. And at first she was hesitant, but it was such a wonderful thing to have this older lady on the eldership. And there were so many blessings that came from that. Anyway, eventually Beryl got cancer. And uh, in her throat. So you can imagine it was pretty awful. The months go by and Beryl's dying. And so she's got sons and one of her sons is pastoring up at Bellingen. And so they moved her up there to a nursing home. And we knew that she was pretty close to the end. Anyway, we're just, you know, for months it's going on. We're praying. We'd include Beryl in our prayers. And then one day I'm sitting in the office and that word comes into my head again. Get in the car and go up and pray for Beryl. She's at Bellingen and I'm in Gorakin. I don't know how long it is up there. It was just five or six hours again. Like, it's a long way. So I talked to Louise and Keith and they said, yeah, get in the car and go. <laughs> so I get in the car. I drive up there and there's Beryl and she's... She's really crook. And her son's there and a daughter-in-law and little granddaughter's there. And, and you know how people say that their eyes brightened. Her eyes brightened. It was great. 
And, and I was able to just pray with her. Anyway, I got in the car, and as I drove out, I'm driving out from Bellingen out to the main road, and about 20 minutes later, I get a phone call. Mum's gone. Mum's died. And I did think to myself, man, if I hadn't responded straight away to that word, like in obedience, that moment would have gone. Now, what I didn't realise, because at the time you think, oh, it's kind of a nice thing that I got to be there to pray for Beryl just in the last few minutes and support the family. That was all lovely, right? They didn't really need my support. Both the sons are pastors. They're really well-equipped guys to deal with death and, and all that. It was great. What I did not realise was how the church family needed me to go as their representative. Do you know what I mean? There were so many people who were so moved by the fact that one of our people went and prayed with Beryl just in those moments before she died. And that's what I mean about God kind of thickening up these little acts that we do. There's this kind of web that he's weaving amongst us of response to his word, which ministers to one another as we do that. So let me ask you again, what is God saying to you today? Are you hearing it? Are you testing it? Are you saying, now that doesn't line up with scripture, Lord, so that's probably a nutter thing to do. That's not from you. Or we go, wow, that, that lines up with scripture. That makes sense. I think I should go and do that. I should go say that or whatever. And we've got to do it in humility. But I think as we do that, as we put legs on what God is saying to us, God does amazing things amongst us. Do you agree? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this amazing little story that's hidden away there in Acts of a word coming to one of your people and a response in obedience and more happened than he could have ever known. And 2,000 years later, we're all talking about it still. Lord, I pray that we would be those kind of people who would respond to your still, small voice to us. And that as we do that, you would do wonderful things amongst us. Lord, bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.